This message is entitled, UFOs, What on Earth is Happening? and is given by Zola Levitt. This is a really odd topic, uh, UFOs, and, and uh, it, is, it is biblical. I, I found out, I, I really uh, wouldn't have known, uh, but that I was sort of called on to uh, edit a book on the matter. And the book is by a theologian, and he thinks that uh, these flying saucers, uh, first of all, he thinks they're really there, and then he thinks there's uh, something of spiritual significance to them. Uh, his name is John Weldon, and I did this book with him, UFOs, What on Earth is Happening? And uh, I'm going to kind of quote quite freely, if you don't mind, from the book uh, as we go along, because it's kind of technical material, and I don't want to tell it like it really is. Uh, by way of introduction, I'll say to you what we sort of started out with in the book, which is uh, the UFOs are real. Those unidentified flying objects are really up there. Millions of people the world over have seen them, including unusually reliable observers of all kinds, scientists, government leaders, the military, clergy, and ordinary citizens everywhere are seeing them regularly. It's time to decide what they are and what they want. Has anybody here seen a UFO? Yeah, in every crowd some people have, I'm sure. I, I frankly have never seen one. And uh, I don't think John, John said he did either, but uh, there are people that have, that have seen loads and loads of them. You see them all the time. There was one lady, as a matter of fact, told me that, you know, she knows how to pick a good knife for it and goes out when there's a clear sky and sees lots of them. But anyway. <laughs> All right, then. And never before have we suffered so much for it. This is a frightening time. Political, economic, and military upheavals around the globe are daily occurrences. Famine is rampant in large parts of the world. Environmental deterioration threatens to alter our way of life permanently. Serious crimes are on the upsurge everywhere. Rich powers are stockpiling nuclear armaments while poorer nations watch in dread. And, and we're seeing uh, even, even funny changes in the weather, as if the universe is somehow altered. Uh, our planet is being increasingly ravaged by natural disasters, blizzards, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, frosts, drought, uh, millions homeless and destitute. There's undersea volcanic uh, activity on the rise. Earthquakes particularly. Uh, every year there is an average of 940 earthquakes measuring five points or greater on the Richter scale. That's, that's an earthquake to really make you think. Tornadoes have shown a devastating increase from 160 per year during the period uh, 1924 to 49 to 624 per year during the 25-year uh, period following that. Uh, for some reason, they went up uh, five times as much. And it's easy to count tornadoes. You could argue about earthquakes that, well, you need uh, instruments and scientists and so on, but uh, when a tornado goes through town, nobody's unaware of it. I don't have to tell you people from Lubbock about that. Uh, they've, they've gone up five times their number that we would expect. All sorts of strange things are happening. 
The National uh, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has stated that drastic changes in the climate around the world are now in progress. Some scientists are saying that the Earth is going headlong toward a period of tremendous upheaval. It's possible that large amounts of magma, the Earth's molten interior, are becoming increasingly active within the core of the planet. Sunspots have increased in size and number, and the solar activity in general is beginning to worry some observers. The sun has emitted 100 times the energy and radiation storms that we should expect relevant to its inner core structure. This worrisome activity is similar to the signs a star gives off before it explodes, or it actually implodes. Uh, there are changes in the climate of humanity, too. New advances in science and medicine have made these fields virtually inaccessible in their fullness even to the studied professional. In sociology and psychology, ominous new horizons bode a new and strange impact on human existence as we know it. Occultism, mind control, legalized drug use, cybernetics, and behaviorism, to mention a few, present an inexplicable future for the customary norms of man's behavior. Social values and individual morality no longer find agreement even among the experts. New ways of behaving, utterly alien to all that's gone before, seem to be in the offing. People don't know what to believe in anymore. Weird upheavals in the human climate have happened before in our history and with dire results. Before the flood of Genesis 6, during the time of Christ, and in the incredible world of Hitler, something like powers of darkness showed themselves in obvious ways. Men were maddened and they perpetrated horrible atrocities in their madness. Some theologians credit demons, like the ones mentioned throughout scripture, with the periodic global manifestation of evil which have plagued our world. Lewis Berry Chafer warns that a similar increase in the activity of demons is predicted for the close of this age and in the Great Tribulation. Now, that's a, a lot of a mouthful there, and probably, you know, it's, it's nothing new. We, we're so used to living with these kind of headlines all the time, uh, our famines, our earthquakes, our, uh, our troubles, our upheavals uh, these days. But I'd like to kind of compare that, just for fun, with um, what the Lord said when his disciples questioned him about the end of the world. Uh, and I'm in Luke 21 they were pretty nervous and they could suspect it was uh, getting close to the end of his ministry it was Passover time uh, he was the talk of Jerusalem and uh, verse 7 says uh, they asked him saying master but when shall these things be and what sign will there be when these things come to pass and he said Take heed that ye shall not be deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. That's something we didn't mention uh, in our book, because uh, it doesn't exactly pertain to UFOs, but how many messiahs have we got around nowadays? We got uh, the guru, he's, he's, the guru's in kind of tax trouble. His messiahship is kind of taking a downturn here. I understand he can't get out of India till he pays up. But uh, he, he was the perfect Messiah. Got this Reverend Sun Myung Moon. He's he's the Messiah too. Uh, Krishna is is, uh, uh, is always on the scene, and he's the Messiah for our time or something. And uh, and one after the other they come. 
not all claiming to be the Messiah uh, completely or, or uh, you know, really identifying themselves as, as an individual with the powers of Christ, but, uh, but leaders of a kind who take a lot of followers with them. Occult leaders do the same thing. We're going to get into that more deeply. But anyway, Jesus went on identifying signs of the end. When you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. It's not yet. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. And, you know, as we were preparing this book, we got a kind of eerie feeling because all these things, we have all these things, very obviously. This business of pestilence, you know, I don't, I don't know what to, to uh, importance to place on these killer bees that are coming and these uh, fire ants that eat everything and, and so on. I don't, know, I don't know if it's a laughing matter, really, but, but uh, it seems like, you know, we, we get these reports, well, they're coming, but, uh, oh, somebody will do something. Somebody will take care of it. But I wonder if these aren't the pestilences that, uh, that Jesus saw. Not that we don't have pestilences of other kinds, but uh, those are pretty striking. And then he, he goes on through, through a lot of um, um, spiritual uh, advice for the end times, and then he comes back to some more signs. And in verse 24, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now he's talking there about the people of Israel. They would be dragged away to all nations until the time the Gentiles are through in Israel. And by golly, that's our time too. Uh, uh, since 1948, the, the Jews have returned to Israel in the times of the Gentiles. Well, that was the beginning of the end of them. The Gentiles aren't being too quiet about it, uh, some of them, uh, like the guys that are picketing uh, General Diane tonight. But uh, nevertheless, their times are over, whether they realize it or not. And, and uh, the chosen people are back to stay. And he goes on, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. And upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. All right, we get a feeling of, what he's saying is, you know, the end times aren't going to be like any other times. In fact, in one place he says there shall be tribulation like never was and never will be. If I had not come then, there would be no flesh saved. Uh, he describes the end as a very, very unique period. And our thesis in this book is that uh, the UFOs, such as they are, are a small part of this unique period. All right, let me develop for you a couple of UFO cases you may not have heard about, and that would be because they really were suppressed. But we, we have facts and we, we have sources printed in the book and some of these are from the files at Maxwell Air Force Base where the Air Force has filed uh, sightings numbering 12,618 by American citizens. That's 12,618 separate cases 
some of them by soldiers, some of them by pilots, some of them by x-ray operators, some of them by all three simultaneously from different places, and this sort of thing. Very good cases. But I've picked out a couple of them here that are extra hair-raising to kind of entertain you with. <laughs> all right, it happened in the summer of 1952 and was truly a one-of-a-kind occasion, even for UFOs. The restricted air zone around the White House is one of the best defended areas in the world. Crack veteran jet aces stand by at all times with the finest of our interceptors at the ready. So when the UFOs appeared in force, the jets scrambled immediately. A true UFO chase was underway. The jets didn't have a chance. We can't use the expression didn't have a prayer because a prayer might have done the job, but more on that later. Uh, <laughs> A prayer, a prayer will do the job against demons. If if you have if you have uh, uh, any any demonologist, and there is such a field, will tell you that, that if if you're attacked by demons, why invoking the name of Christ, uh, who cast out demons, will will take care of them. Um, but anyway, when the jets came screaming into the White House airspace, the UFOs left the scene at better than seven thousand miles per hour. This is pretty fast. We didn't have a plane that could even keep them in sight. The base radar operators following the whole operation clearly on their screens were astounded. Having lost their prey, the jets were called home and the shaken pilots debriefed. But suddenly the alert sounded again. The UFOs were back. Again the jets scrambled and gave chase. And again the UFOs did their disappearing act. This very upsetting hide-and-seek game went on for six hours at the pleasure of the UFOs who almost seemed to be sporting with our aircraft. Finally, just before daybreak, the game was over. The UFOs called it quits and the weary pilots went off duty, completely mystified. Things were quiet for a few nights while the radar people sat on the edges of their chairs. Then the following weekend at three o'clock in the morning, the visitors wanted to play some more. Our security had to oblige. This time, six to 12 UFOs appeared in two separate groups. Two F-94s were scrambled to meet them, one per group. The first pilot encountered them immediately, transmitting that he was closing on giant blue-white lights directly ahead of his plane. Then the lights surrounded him, and it looked as if the chase were going to go the other way. The pilot remained calm and transmitted that the lights were encircling his plane and closing in. Then, in almost a whimper, he asked, what shall I do? <laughs> I thought it was interesting that that is the, the answer uh, uh, given to Peter's sermon in Acts 2 when uh, the, the miracle comes and the Holy Spirit comes and the crowd gathers and he preaches his brilliant sermon on Joel and David and so on and proves that Jesus was the Messiah and the crowd says, what shall we do? <laughs> and <there's, laughs> it's exactly the same thing. This guy was really impressed. The UFOs only observed the plane without doing any kind of hostile action. In 15 seconds they were gone, careening away at their usual stunning speed. The pilots returned and the radar screens observed the UFOs for two more hours. Finally the visitors called it a night to general relief. All right, now I don't have to tell you the uh, White House is pretty sensitive and the pilots we've got watching it are the best we have and, and we have some pretty good equipment there. This is, this is the kind of case, it's not, it's not a question of some guy from, you know, off a farm in Pascagoula, Mississippi or something, which, which cases we also have, but case of seasoned sky watchers, the pilots saw it, the radar operators saw it, 
a separate radar operator saw it, another pilot saw it, and, and on and on and on, night, night after night virtually. So there's no question that it, the they, blue white lights were there. They fly fast, they make turns, uh, they, they maneuver so that we can't uh, follow them, but they were there. The White House encounters were dismissed as, quote, unusual atmospheric effects, unquote, or, quote, optical and radar illusions, unquote. Explanations that understandably left a host of questions still unanswered. In fact, the sightings continued reliably throughout the 1950s. This was in the 50s and they just kept on going. Nobody told you about it, that's all. There have been, been uh, UFOs sighted at the rate of six per hour around the world for about 25 years. But right now, out there, people are seeing them. Before we're done, half a dozen of them will be seen by reliable people all over the place. Sometimes they see huge fleets of them. One, one guy saw a so he called it the Queen Mary, uh, which was a great big central base and little UFOs going out from it. A high point worth mentioning involved the White Sands Proving Grounds, our atomic testing field in New Mexico. Security there is severe, as befits the activities going on behind the fences. But in 1956, a domed circular UFO paid a call about 10 miles from the base, and this one landed on the ground. Havoc ensued. When the UFO touched down close to busy Highway 70, nearby autos experienced electrical failures. Commuter traffic to Holloman Air Force Base at the site of the proving grounds began to back up. The situation thus created assured that everyone on the road clearly saw the landed UFO. Dozens witnessed to it, including two Air Force colonels and two sergeants. The UFO remained stationary for some 10 minutes. Then with a whirring sound, it just took off and flew away without fanfare. All of this in plain sight of a highway full of observers. This time the government agency seemed to take the matter seriously. Though the Pentagon and the CIA joined the air technical intelligence in investigating the matter, there just wasn't anything to report. No one has or has to this day the vaguest explanation for what they'd seen that day on US-7. Okay, bunches of people saw that. I, I just wanted to tell you the, the quality of cases that there are available, and that's only a couple of them. By the way, we have a complete report of the astronauts spotting UFOs, and, and almost every mission spotted them. And they were all over the place. And all the UFOs were different, and they behaved differently. They would track the ships, they would follow them for a while. Uh, when we sent the first one up into orbit, the UFO just kind of casually went around in orbit with them made sure he made a whole orbit, checked him out, and then took out the other way, straight out into space, which is a pretty good trick. I mean, it didn't start from anything solid. It was in orbit, and it went straight out. Not an increasing orbit, just a right turn into space. We don't know how to do that. I have no idea how to do that. That shouldn't work, as a matter of fact. It shouldn't work in this particular universe. But we're going to come to that. They violate all kinds of our mechanical laws. Okay, it's, it's interesting that uh, throughout history, they have always been a step ahead of us. The Egyptians wrote that they saw fireballs in the sky. Even before that, uh, in India, there's record of, of seeing uh, strange things. Oh, here and there could be comets, but the descriptions, uh, the way they read, seem to be a lower flying object, plain to see, but never anything like a disc or a saucer or the stuff we tend to see. 
In the old days, they were old-fashioned. And they came along with the times. Uh, I don't want to bore you with the whole historical survey, but it's really funny how they, they, uh, they just sort of stay with us and, and maybe even stay uh, just a little ahead of us. Uh, they started out as, as uh, fireballs and, and things that were uh, um, not mechanical. They were just luminous lights, like, like stars that came down. And there was this Japanese general that, uh, uh, in, in the 13th century that sat up all night with his troops watching UFOs in the sky, and he finally decided that there were very high winds that night, and it was causing the stars to sway in their path. But he saw nothing that, that like a spaceship uh, I don't know what he would have described it as anyway, but it, it, it was merely light that he saw. But when we got into the 19th century, we started to see airships worthy of uh, Jules Verne, you know, um, the, the science fiction writer. Let's see, um, they seemed to look like something out of Jules Verne's science fiction with their propellers, porthole windows along the bottom, antennae. Some submarine-like appearance. They had sharply pointed nose cones at the front and all sorts of streamlined appendages. There were dozens or perhaps hundreds of sightings of those ships. There was even a photograph taken April 11, 1897 and pronounced genuine by the New York Herald and the Chicago Tribune independently. Okay, this was uh, six years before the Wright brothers flew their first heavier-than-air craft. So, but these things were definitely things that you rode in. See, they had windows and uh, portholes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and, and streamlined stuff, you know. But, but old-fashioned. We called it the Goodyear blimp period. <laughs> you know, looked like the Goodyear blimp a little bit. It was well suited to the imagination of its times, the Goodyear blimps, and stimulated much wonder. The craft were far enough beyond the capabilities of turn-of-the-century technology to discourage any thought of our going after them, but not so far beyond that they left the observers unable to describe them. It's like a teasing game. When we advance, they advance. They're always a step ahead of us. Today they resemble the best of our aircraft in performance, but far outdo our machines. Pursuit is hopeless, with the craft attaining to speeds and maneuverability well beyond our capabilities. Now, we have stories of abductions they supposedly made. Pretty good stories, too. They don't abduct people. Usually they take animals. Uh, they cut them up. They leave part of them, take part of them away. It looks like a surgical cutting up. Uh, sometimes it looks like they're doing an intelligent experiment, but a lot of the time it just looks like mischief, what they do. They buzz people and they scare people and they, they come up in the oddest places. Uh, and run away when we go to see them. I mean, you know, you don't just put down on US 70 near the White Sands Proving Grounds and take a break on the ground for 10 minutes and expect that nobody will notice. So they're not hiding. But then we send aircraft after them and we're, we're flying, you know, uh, a matter of yards from them and they take off and run away. So it, it isn't reasonable, it, isn't, it doesn't seem like the intelligent progress of any kind of investigation of us going on. It seems in that case like mischief. Well, uh, they came around in greatest force in the 19th century, at least that's the way our reports are, and they, they were seemingly concurrent with all of the uh, man-centered intellectualism of that period, you know. Uh, 
The 19th century promulgated a view of man wherein he stood as the center of the universe. Men became the measure of all things, and a phenomenal number of new isms and religious cults came forth. Scholars invented new ways of looking at things. Darwin's evolutionary theory, Kierkegaard's existentialism, Marx's communist manifesto, and Nietzsche's Superman theories gained popular acclaim. Cults of religion that sought to improve Christianity or make it more palatable rose out of the original. Spiritualism, Mormonism, Christian Science, Jehovah's Witness, and many other cults gained followers. UFO sightings increased considerably in this period. It would be quite difficult to draw a connection there except to say that demon activity is a supernaturally planned total effort to oppose God. If the UFOs represent actual demon activity, they came to the right place at the right time in the 19th century. The impressive list of philosophies and religions that came to the fore in that century might be called an advancement of intellectualism, but they might also be grouped under a decline of spiritual values. All of them are earth-centered, man-centered, do-it-yourself philosophies meant to replace the Christian ethic, and our world today is a direct result of their efforts. Now, this business of them staying a little ahead of our technology, through the ages it was tolerable because we kind of had the feeling we'll soon be able to get up there and catch them. When they came in their blimps, we figured, you know, I mean, men had already drawn such ships. It was within our grasp, with, at least within our imagination, and pretty soon we'd be able to put a ship up there and pursue them. But when we got up there in one of our blimp-type things, then they had propellers. And when we got after them in propeller aircraft, they had jets. And when we got after them in jets, they had rockets. And, uh, and now we're after them with the best rockets and so forth and radar and everything else, and we can't get close. They, they just keep moving up and moving up. They have, uh, no two of them seem to be alike. We've invented uh, terms like saucers and disks because a lot of them look like that as a, in general. But it argues against them being sent from some outer space society, which, you know, we don't know that there's any life out in space anyhow, or if there was that they'd be interested in us, or, or if there was and they are interested in us, that they would choose to to examine us this way, which is to come here for thousands of years in all different shapes and sized vehicles, fly around, never contact us, uh, uh, and, and just seem to cause mischief. But anyway, uh, there doesn't seem to be a logic or a pattern. All right, I'm purposely, you know, bringing up questions rather than giving answers at this point, but we just can't make a pattern out of it. Now here comes the spooky part, and that is uh, where they uh, refuse to abide by uh, the scientific mechanical laws of this particular gravity. Uh, see, we, we tried the scientific method all the way through the book to this point, and now we come to the unscientific method that is uh, taking them on their own terms and trying to, trying to figure out their nature. Um, we say science doesn't have enough of the answers and we're reduced to tabulating probabilities of probabilities in our search for answers. Scientifically speaking, we ought not to have any UFOs because there's virtually no place for them to have come from and no reason for them to exist. But we do have them anyway, so we'll have to take the only other reasonable approach, a study of the UFO phenomenon themselves. Perhaps in their behavior they reveal some clues about their origin and their purpose. 
UFOs seem to play games with humans. They buzz planes and cars. They scare people half to death. Sometimes they seem to conduct relatively intelligent experiments as with the Pascagoula abduction or the White House observations or the cow of 1897. And 1897 was a famous case because they picked up the cow of a state senator. So <laughs> he was an unusually trustworthy uh, witness. He signed a, a legal affidavit and had it notarized that this had happened, brought the mi missing, I mean the parts that were left of the cow in to be examined. They took his cow, he said. And uh, the Pascagoula abduction, you may have seen that on TV, that a couple of guys were taken aboard a UFO last year or so. And uh, one of them passed out and wasn't, you know, able to say much. And the other guy was talking real horror movie stuff. Uh, there were these guys that had skin like leather and 11 feet tall and they had a scanning device they examined them with and all that. And, uh, it was really scary, but uh, did you see that UFO special on TV last December, UFOs, Do You Believe? Did anybody see it? It wasn't shown in a lot of places, uh, and that's part of it too. I think the government is on a kind of a revelation, a slow revelation thing, where they're, they're going to slowly but surely see the name of that special, Do You Believe? The line used to be, they're not there. They're atmospheric effects. Now it's, Do You Believe? They had those guys that were abducted on that show, and they didn't look like they were putting up any kind of hoax, I and mean, they just simply gave a testimony. They had nothing to gain by inventing a, a yarn like that. And anyway, that wasn't a very good invention. The one of them was passed out the whole time, the other was very vague. They hadn't rehearsed their story very well if it was invented. Uh, it, it all seemed to fit together. But anyway, uh, their unpredictable activities, the UFOs, hardly suggest the serious investigation of one planetary society by another. They seem rather to be trying to confuse us, and they have. They never crash. They never make a mistake. They never put down for repairs or refueling. Our knowledge of machines dictates that if we're going to fly something very high and very fast, we're going to have a few headaches. That's just the nature of life on this planet. There are infinite variables that make supersonic travel hazardous, or at least make it require occasional maintenance. If visitors want to fly around us, we'll assume they'll have to abide by the natural rules of this planet. But the UFOs have no problems at all with navigating Earth's airspace. They go merrily on their way, impervious to capture, detected apparently only when they want to be. In World War II, they flew around uh, following the action, it seemed. They would fly along with our pursuit planes. They'd fly right at the wingtips and they would be balls of fire and stuff like that. And in Sweden.